the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And as he thinks on all of this, with all these negative thoughts floating through his mind, suddenly he stops. He stops. He comes to his senses and he states the truth that will bring him out of depression. And so, in the flow of the psalm, we move from the reasons for his depression to the remedy for his depression, the cure for his depression. Depression affects most of us. Even if we don't suffer from it ourselves, we probably know or even love someone who does. But how do we stop these negative thoughts? Welcome to Verse by Verse and the second installment of our series of Bible lessons from Psalm 42 and the battle against depression. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and our instructor for these daily radio Bible classes. Many years ago, a young Midwestern lawyer suffered from such deep depression that his friends thought it best to keep all knives and razors out of his reach. During this time, he wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. But Abraham Lincoln somehow received the encouragement he needed and obviously went on with life. In our last class, Pastor Steve discussed some of the reasons for depression that we can learn from this psalm. Let's see now what encouragement we can find in Psalm 42. Here's Pastor Steve. See, what we find in Psalm 42 and 43 is a series of three statements in which the psalmist repeats himself, and he says essentially the same thing. His remedy for depression. Says it in verse 5, verse 11, and then verse 5 of Psalm 43. He tells us his remedy, his remedy is to speak to himself, why are you in despair, O my soul? That's what he says. And between each of these remedial statements, these remedy, this remedy for being so downcast, he tells us the reasons why he's depressed. So the Psalm's message is simply this, the reasons and the remedy for depression. But listen very closely. The fact that the psalmist states the remedy to his depression, not once, not twice, but three times, would seem to indicate that his cure was not immediate. It was not instant. It didn't happen right away. But it took him some time as he struggled to work through all of this. But at the end of the day, he was a confident man, confident that he would have victory over his depression because it just keeps coming back to this, this, this truth, this one truth that he knew would bring him through this dark night of his soul. Hope in God, have faith in God, because he will bring me through this time of despair, and I'll once again praise him like I did in the past. Now, with this as our background, we're ready to see the first series of statements about the reasons for this man's depression and then the remedy for his depression. It's found in the first five verses. The reasons and the remedy for depression. He starts off, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul 
thirst for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, as the psalm begins, as it opens up, this man, this son of Korah, the psalmist, tells us of his passionate longing for God. He compares the longing of his soul for God to that of a thirsty deer panting for a drink of water from a a cool water brook. Now, what this panting after God tells us about this man is that he was going through a dry season of his life. That's why he's thirsty. He feels spiritually barren, dry, empty, far from God. And I'm sure that if you're honest, you would say, I felt like this at times. All of us have. All of us have gone through seasons of dryness where we feel like we're in the wilderness. We feel like we're out in the desert dry. Spiritual life just seems to dry up. Our joy is gone. And we're left with this feeling like our tanks are just empty. We've got nothing left spiritually. So dry in your soul that there's this tremendous thirst for God because you haven't experienced in a long time any intimacy with him, any real fellowship with him. You long to have that closeness with him that that you once have, but he seems so far from you. Well, that's how this man is feeling. He's longing to have a sense of God's presence back in his life, so much so that he thirsts for it, like a deer, panting deer, who would thirst for just a drink of, of water in a cool mountain stream. That's what he's going through. Now, why was this man feeling this way? That's the question. What what was taking place in his life that he felt so absolutely dry and and empty? Well, look once again at verse 2, because he tells us something very significant about his situation. He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, what does he mean by this question, when shall I come and appear before God? And what does all this have to do with being depressed? Well, the fact that he speaks of of his desire of coming and appearing before God in a Jewish context means that he was far away from the public worshiping of God, which took place at the temple in the city of Jerusalem. It was in the temple that he longed to be. This was the great longing, the great desire of this man's heart. That's what his soul was panting for. That's what he was thirsting for. He yearned to be worshiping the Lord in Jerusalem at the temple. But he wasn't there, and that's bothering him terribly. This is one of the reasons he was so depressed. He wasn't there. He wanted to be there. So where was he? Why did his absence from Jerusalem make him so depressed? Well, we don't know precisely where This son of Korah was when he wrote the psalm, but we do know the general vicinity of his location. You look at verse 6, we read, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Now, what we learn from this statement is that his location, because this is what he's telling us, his, his location is here. It was somewhere beyond, when he says the Jordan, he means the Jordan River. Somewhere beyond the Jordan River, in the northeast part of Israel, in the region of Israel's tallest mountain, Mount Hermon, apparently in one of the hills in the whole mountain range named Mount Mizar. Now, that is a good distance from the city 
of Jerusalem. So he feels far away from the one place on earth that he wants to be. He wants to be there so he can worship God in the temple. But note this, his longing to be in the city of Jerusalem, that's not a denial that God is present everywhere, that he's omnipresent. He's not denying that or that he can't worship God in some other location. After all, the very fact that this man is praying to God, being far away from Jerusalem, tells us that he knows that God is everywhere. But remember who this man is. He's one of the sons of Korah, which means he's a Levite. He's a professional musician in the Lord's temple. That's what he does. That's his ministry. His ministry is to lead the people of God in worship as they gather to praise God in the temple. But he can't do that right now because he's far away from home. He's far away from his work. He's far away from leading the people in worship. So he feels cut off from his ministry, which makes him feel cut off from God himself. And just in case someone might be thinking that they would minimize his trouble, someone might be thinking, well, big deal. So what? that he can't be in Jerusalem leading the people in worship. He's just overreacting. There's no reason for him to be depressed over something like this. After all, I want to go to Jerusalem too, but I can't afford it. You might be thinking something like that. What's the big deal? Now, if you are thinking along these lines, then it's important that you understand this man's absence from Jerusalem meant an absence from the work he loved, as well as losing a sense of being useful to the Lord. In other words, his entire identity, his entire purpose for living was was tied up in his ministry in Jerusalem. Remove this from him and you've removed his reason for living and thus the reason for his depression. Now, in case you still can't see this, this would cause this man to be so downcast, then perhaps the words of James Montgomery Boyce might help you to have some compassion, some sympathy, empathy, an appreciation for this man's plight. Boyce writes this concerning the psalmist's thinking. He says, perhaps you have felt the force of that one way or another. I'm sure you have. If you've ever lost a job or perhaps are stuck in a dead-end job, an early forced retirement will lead to depression like this for some people. So will old age when a person feels that his or her useful days are done. Now, perhaps... That gives you a little taste, a little bit of help, so that you see why this man was so depressed being away from Jerusalem. But as we read on, we discovered that he had even more that was on his plate, more to be depressed about. Notice verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Now, what does this mean? Well, what he's telling us is that he's so, he's so down that he cries day and night, weepy, crying. During the time, as I said before, they would normally eat food, he found himself just weeping again and again over his situation. But notice what he goes on to tell us about his situation. He tells us that there are certain people around him who taunt him, mock him, scoff him, and, and they do it by asking him a question, where is your God? In other words, What they're saying is, where is your God when you need him? I thought he was so great. If your God is so great as you say he is, then why hasn't he delivered you and brought you back to Jerusalem? See, when we put 
this verse together with the previous one, being away from the temple in Jerusalem, it appears that the psalmist has been taken captive by these men. They would not be Jewish men, be pagan men who taunted him and forced him to leave the very place that he, he loves. Now, we don't know historically what's going on here, but that's what it appears to be. And they've taken him by force. They're leading him away, perhaps to Babylon. We don't know. Certainly leading him away from the ministry he loves. And if that's the case, then we'll explain why he was so far from Jerusalem in the Mount Hermon mountain range when he wrote this psalm. It wasn't that he wanted to be away from the temple. He wasn't on vacation. He was forced to be away. He was taken captive by pagans. And, and now these pagans are only adding to his suffering by taunting him about his, his God's lack of, of ability to rescue him and return him back to his homeland. Listen, you may never have been forced to leave your home against your will, nor experience the taunt of enemies challenging you about the power and the love of God. But each of us knows only too well the thought when we are in trouble, where is God now? Where is he when I need him? Where is he? Why hasn't he rescued me? We've all had those thoughts that have gone through our minds when we're facing dire circumstances. Where is God? I thought he was so great, but I seem to be just forgotten. God seems to be far away, can't sense his presence, feel abandoned, uncared for by him. That is a cause for depression. That's what this man is feeling. That's exactly what he's going through, and that's why he's so depressed. He feels spiritually dry. He's far away from the very work that he loves and finds so fulfilling in his life, and it seems as if God has abandoned him. No wonder he's so downcast. And it's in this state of being depressed, that he does something that really, it just adds to his depression, deepens it, it doesn't help him. Verse 4, these things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, what these statements tell us is that in the midst of feeling so down, so blue, so gloomy, The psalmist thinks back to happier days when he was back in Jerusalem joyfully leading people in worship as people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem, come to the house of God during one of the Jewish festivals, and he would be leading them, singing and dancing in happier days, praising God with the people. Now, you know what? Good memories can be a a wonderful encouragement, but not when you're going through depression. Because like the psalmist experienced, these thoughts only remind you of how good you used to have it and how bad your situation is now. They only deepen depression. So there you have it. That's this man's predicament up to this point in the psalm that he's telling us, the reasons for his depression. He feels cut off from God. He feels spiritually dry and barren. He's alone in a place he doesn't want to be, isolated from the house of God, And the work that he deeply loves, he's weepy, he's got no appetite for food, he's forced from his home by pagans who taunt him about the character of God, and on top of all of this, he's reminiscing about the good old days that seem so distant and without any prospect of of ever happening again. And as he thinks on all of this, with all these negative thoughts floating through his mind, suddenly he stops. He stops. 
He comes to his senses and he states the truth that will bring him out of depression. And so in the flow of the psalm, we move from the reasons for his depression to the remedy for his depression, the cure for his depression. Verse 5, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him for the help of his presence. Instead of entertaining all of these negative thoughts and dwelling on past memories, he just stops and he asks himself, nobody else, he asks himself a question. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you so disturbed? Now, these questions that this man asks, that may, may seem like an insignificant thing. You may have read this psalm or other psalms like this and just passed over it. Here's a man who's talking to himself. But this is a key. You see, the key to battling depression and to having victory over your depression is this. This is it. You see, what the psalmist is doing is he is refusing to give in to his depression. He's refusing to let his circumstances dictate his emotions by telling him how bad things are. Instead, he turns on himself. Instead of letting his bad circumstances talk to him, he starts talking to himself. And he does it by asking himself why he should be so down and depressed and in despair. And his answer to these questions is that there is no reason to be depressed because he has God in his life. So he tells himself, he's preaching to himself. He's grabbing himself by the throat and saying, listen, hope in God, which means trust God, have faith in him, believe what his word says, that he loves his people and he helps his people. Now, folks, I want you to see exactly what this man is, is doing to battle his depression so that you can apply it to your own life. That's the point. I want you to see the principle of this in your life. The best way I can show you this is by letting you hear from none other than Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and his explanation of this man's behavior and how we can put what this man did into practice. Here's what Lloyd-Jones said. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Do you realize what that means? I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Am I trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment, and I will speak to you. Folks, this is brilliant. This is insight. This is, as he said, wisdom. This is what the psalmist is teaching us. This is what God is teaching us. What he tells, what this man tells his soul is exactly what you and I need to tell our souls when we are down and we are depressed. We have to challenge ourselves to place our faith in our Lord. If you're a believer, he has given you faith. We'll see that in our study of Ephesians. Faith is a gift from God. 
It's what Jesus said to his disciples when they were so worried and troubled and fearful on the Sea of Galilee, thinking they're going to drown. He said, where is your faith? This is what this man says. He's down, he's depressed. He challenges himself to apply his faith in his Lord. See, that's the key to coming out of depression. Stop focusing on your problems, the problems that have made you so depressed, and tell yourself the truth to have faith in God. He has given you his help in the past. He will do it again in the future. Trust him. Trust him. Listen, if you're depressed, I want you to know there's hope for you. Learn from the psalmist. Stop listening to yourself and all the problems going through your head and start talking to yourself. Preach to yourself. Lecture to yourself to put your hope in God because you'll never find a cure to depression ultimately outside of God. Never. And if you are not a Christian, then I say you have every right to be depressed because you have at this point no hope. You have no hope. But Jesus died for sinners just like you in order to lift you out of your hopeless situation, your hopeless condition. How does he do this? He gives you new life, a new life in which you have a relationship with God, the forgiveness of your sins, peace, the assurance of going to heaven when you die. But to enter this new life, you must turn from your sin of being your your own king and you must turn to Jesus Christ and trust him as, as the sacrificial one, the one who died on the cross for you. And in turning to him, you turn with an attitude of, you be my king, Lord. I've messed up my life enough. You be my king. You cast yourself upon his mercy to save you. You do that, you'll have hope. You'll have a new life. You'll not need to feel this hopelessness and despair. Let's bow for prayer. If you are a believer in Christ, I urge you, apply these truths. You don't need to be depressed. You don't need to be blue. You don't need to be gloomy. Hope in God. Talk to yourself. Tell yourself the truth. The truth is that God is wonderful, and he will bring you through this, and you will again be praising him. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. If you're not a Christian, I urge you, there is no hope outside of Christ. Turn to Jesus Christ. He's real. He's a person. He was raised from the dead. He is here right now by his spirit. And he is willing to save you from your sin if you will come to him. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. You come to him. Father, we thank you for this psalm, precious, practical, so very helpful. It gives us hope, Lord. gives us hope that when we go through down times, we don't need to stay down there. We don't need to listen to our emotions. We don't need to fall apart. Help us. Help us as your people to put into practice what we've learned today, to talk to ourselves and to talk truth to ourselves to be, as it were, almost violent with ourselves, yelling at ourselves, this is the truth, hope in God. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of all hope. And I pray for anyone now going through a very downcast time in their life that this will bring them through this, that this truth applied will bring them through it. And I pray for those who don't know you, Lord, 
those who are without hope in the world, without you in the world, I pray you'll open their hearts to the gospel and that they'll see that only in Christ can they be saved and given new life. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are sometimes biological causes for depression. Medical attention may be needed, but often it's a matter of how we handle our thoughts. Do we take every thought captive? Will we do as Paul said in Philippians? Again and again, he said to rejoice. How? Well, in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he said, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that a great promise? Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to hear the first part of this two-part message, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. A moment ago, I said that Paul urged us to rejoice always. Yet even Paul sometimes had the blues. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus himself was emotionally down. So if we sometimes are in the pits, we're in good company. And thankfully, the Bible shows us how to get out of the pits. Join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues our study of Psalm 42 and the battle against depression. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.